Okay, before we get into this week's episode of Robots in Your Eyes, uh, we spend an awful lot of time in this episode talking about a particular new character. Now, we recorded these episodes out of order, and it turns out that the new character isn't actually new at all. He appeared in a previous episode, but we haven't recorded that one yet, so bear with us. Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast looking at Saturday morning cartoons through the eyes of people way older than the intended target audience, but still very much captivated by those glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson. I'm Stephen Alexander. And I'm Steve Walker. So I have two Steves with me again. Great to have you both with me again. It is going to get confusing, I'm sure, (laughs) but we'll try and keep on top of things. Neither of you are feeling particularly blue today, are you? No. Good. No, I, I, I might have reason to be. I don't know. I think, yeah, you know, life life has its ups and downs. But I, I don't feel as blue as some of the people that we're going to see in these episodes of the Transformers, fortunately. So that's good. That is good, yes. Because we are starting off with an episode called Blaster Blues, written by Larry Strauss. Yes. Another one that evidently from the title foregrounds a new character who we've seen a couple of times before today, but uh, hasn't really played too much of a part. I I just want to jump in right at the start because I am so excited for the new characters in this episode. There's some real favourites. And can can we just can we just go and talk about them first? Because it's like, oh, wow. Oh, wow. Um, is that okay? Yeah, that absolutely fine. I'm I'm also excited, particularly by one of them. So obviously, Blaster isn't a new character for this episode because we've seen him before a couple of times. But uh, within the first like thirty seconds, we meet another one, don't we? Yes, yes, we do. And it's it's not much of an introduction, really, to this little green guy. It's not really, is it? But you know, Cosmos yeah. is. He's a fun little character. I think for reasons that will become clear later, I think this is the episode where the creators have finally decided cobblers to it with size and consistency and things like that. They've just gone, no, screw it. We're just going to do whatever we like because Cosmos is... Well, Cosmos is a UFO, apparently, uh, but he's also a mini-bot. And they put that into the cartoon by making him short and you know quite cute, really. And then in vehicle mode, he is a vehicle that other Transformers can ride in. So he clearly gets a lot bigger or they get a lot smaller or something goes on weird with the size. <laughs> They're obviously, he's obviously dimensionally transcendental. Must be. Cosmos is kind of the king of contradiction because, yes, he's big. Yes, he's small. Yes, he's a robot in disguise. But it's, as has well been remarked upon, it's not a particularly disguise of any kind that would uh, that would be helpful to anyone. It's a terrible disguise. He's disguised himself as a UFO. I had I had a Cosmos. It was a lovely little figure. And as, as you know, on the back of the packaging for the figures, you get like a little bio of the character. And it describes Cosmos as being a bit of a loner. He spends most of his time in Earth orbit. But occasionally he likes to come down into the Earth's atmosphere and scare a few country folk, is how I think it read on the on the back of the, <laughs> uh, the, the blister pack. 
Um, yeah, so Cosmos is actually to blame for every single UFO sighting that's ever been reported since 1985. Yeah, <laughs> there was a, also a lot of recent excitement about Cosmos because he was released in the Legacy toy range and was spectacularly rare and unavailable, and, and you couldn't get him through any of the usual places. And people were looking for him online and crying out for him. But Smith's Toys just had hundreds. Yeah, they, you went in, and there were dozens of Cosmoses lined up all over yeah. the shelves uh, and that was good for me yeah i i haven't managed to pick one up yet i do i do want to get a cosmos because like i say i had the the microbot on the blister pack and i loved it and I, I i do want to get one but yeah the world did go crazy for the the legacy figure interesting that everyone went completely mad for a Relatively minor character, really. (laughs) Yeah. I I could sort of understand it if it was like a super rare version of Optimus Prime or something like that, but it's Cosmos, the little green chap. (laughs) We're all sick of super rare versions of Optimus Prime. I've got more (laughs) super rare versions of Optimus Prime than you can shake a stick out, I swear. It's interestingly, I think that Tomi Takara and probably Hasbro own the copyright on certain names because... Third-party cosmoses are called Klaatu. And I, oh, I know the film. It's it's the day the Earth stood still. Yes, it is yeah. the yeah, Michael Rennie version, not the Keanu Reeves version, <laughs> which is nowhere near as good. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about Transformers. Yeah, and Cosmos isn't the only new character that we've got in this episode, is it? Which one excited you most, Steve? Either Steve. <laughs> I've got a feeling this is the first time we see Astro Train. It is the first time we see Astro Train, yes. Yeah. Uh, one of the one of the triple changes. Yes. Who turns into a rather boxy-looking train and a rather boxy-looking space shuttle, but looks really yes. cool in robot mode with his shuttle wings out behind him. Yes. There, there is a lovely moment a bit later on in the episode with Astro Train's transformation, and it just looks really, really clumsy. <laughs> <laughs> But, but to my mind, he's the most successful of the Decepticon triple changers. I love both his modes. I love the train. I love the boxy spaceship in all, in all its glory. And he's also got one of the, I think, one of the oddest voices because it's it's just like, it's a fairly normal voice, but they put like this really odd slapback echo on it. So everything he says sort of feels kind of doubled in a way. It's really, really bizarre. It is bizarre. And I think I, I would agree that Astro Train is probably one of the most successful triple changes because other triple changes, the massive compromises they have to make to make them actually appear in both their alt modes, it doesn't serve them very well. Like Blitzwing, for example, is a fantastic looking tank, but a rubbish looking jet because he's just massively he chunky and would never fly. Um, <laughs> you know, but Astro Train actually doesn't look too bad um, yeah. in shuttle or train mode. Shall we hold back our last reveal until he turns up in the episode? Because yeah. it is very exciting. And uh, and get cracking on. Absolutely. Well, well, we'll start. The episode itself starts with uh, Blaster committing blatant copyright fraud by broadcasting a concert that he and Carly and Spike are at. That's the first thing that popped into my head when they showed that scene of Spike, Carly and, and Blaster in the concert. I'm thinking, did the concert organisers not sort of question spike taking a recording device into a live concert <laughs> it's a fairly blatant one it seems to have his own seat as well so you know <laughs> yeah yeah and and blaster's alt mode he's i mean sound wave crunches down quite small blaster's alt mode is huge 
<laughs> yeah, you can't sneak that ghetto blaster into no, the stadium under you, your shirt, you can you? You need a sack barrow to carry him. <laughs> Do you remember they had a campaign in the 80s, home taping is killing music? <laughs> that was aimed at blaster, wasn't it? Oh, yes, it was. Absolutely, it was. Although, you know, this particular musician uh, set of musicians is really good because the guitarist is guitaring one-handed. Again, spotted that and thought he, he shouldn't be able to play that well with one hand and of course what they're playing is the same generic rock music that jazz blasts out all the time yep then we cut back to spike blaster and carly and spike is up and he's doing the weirdest dance move i've ever seen (laughs) um it actually seems more at home with time warp from rocky horror because of the action he's doing in his dancing (laughs) But we go back to the Ark, and Optimus Prime is preparing somebody for target practice. And who do we see on the screen who's preparing, who's always prepared? Oh, Um, the mighty, the wondrous, the phenomenal Omega Supreme. Or, as I knew him at the time, the Grandstand Converter's Omegatron. Yes, because we never got Omega Supreme as a Transformer in the UK, but because Hasbro was basically cobbling together the Transformers line from other transforming robots, this one came from somewhere else, and they I don't think they could license it in the European market, so we got it as the Grandstand Converters version. Different colour, but it is definitely there, and you'll find it in an Argos catalogue, I think, from 1985, wow. next to all the Transformers, but not actually a Transformer. It, for, for me, since I got back into Transformers about five or six years ago, the, the two greatest mysteries of Transformers have been solved. Like, what? why was there a toy that was not Omega Supreme, that was clearly Omega Supreme, that didn't have an Autobot badge? <laughs> that was the first great mystery. The second great mystery, uh, which was solved for me just this year, actually, was... How does Hot Rod transform? Because his big spoiler is at the back and then it's at the front in his robot mode. And somebody showed me how it works the other... Just this year, somebody showed me how it worked. And um, I feel very old and sad now. Because oh, I, could, I had Hot Rod. I could have told you that. Yeah, yeah but I, I didn't want to know. I didn't want to know. Oh, shit, oh, shit it's still a mystery. <laughs> anyway, he's not around for ages. No. no, but Omega Supreme is there. We only see him in his base mode on the screen, and we hear the great booming voice that he has, which I absolutely love. Omega Supreme is fantastic. Yeah. In the cartoon, Omega Supreme is a fantastic character. As a toy Transformer, Omega Supreme doesn't really fit the mould because he doesn't actually transform as such he just comes in lots of pieces that can be reassembled into a different mode there's room there's room in the universe there's room in my toy collection for all kinds of transformers i'm not prejudiced here i'm I'm not gonna say omega supreme he's a parts form we don't like him i'm gonna say yeah i accept omega supreme on his own terms he's just bits he is. He's great. But that does lead to all sorts of issues in this episode and every other episode he appears in is how the hell he transforms. So, <laughs> but it does look awesome. But anyway, he's not... We don't see him transform just yet. We see him in the base mode with his booming voice. And Optimus Prime is interrupted when Blaster broadcasts that awful rock music. And nobody is happy about this. Prime claps his hands to his ears. Sparkplug claps his hands to his ears. And Jazz likes it. He starts dancing. Yeah, Jazz is, is a fan of the rock music. Yeah, we've seen, uh, we've kind of seen this before, though, haven't we? In yeah. Dinobot Island, 
the the Transformers can't seem to cope with this particular bit of music. Yeah. If it wasn't for spark plug clapping his ears, I would think that maybe the Transformers just like don't understand music and it's something that's alien to them. They don't yep. get except for jazz and blaster. But enough of all this gaiety with rock music. There's another plot going on at the Haley Observatory, which is not at all influenced in its naming by the fact that at the time they were making this, Halley's Comet, or as they call it in the US, Halley's Comet, was heading in towards the inner solar system, ready for yes. its 1986 close pass. Yes. Yeah. Um, which which version which version's correct, Halley or Haley? Well, it's spelled H-A-L-L-E-Y, so it I is, can't... Uh, it's Halley. It's Edmund Halley. Halley. Okay. But, yeah, great. but weirdly, the Professor Haley is talking about his new invention that will allow them to contact intelligent life because there must be intelligent life out there somewhere in the universe. Um, yeah, but you know there's intelligent life in the universe because it's on your planet already. Yes. <laughs> the Autobots and the Decepticons have been yes. there for at least a year at this point. I, I did think, well, maybe he's, you know, one of these crazy astronomers that locks himself away in his observatory and spends most of his time looking at data so he's probably not aware of the presence of the transformers but then something happens yes he's very confused because he sends a message delightfully starting it to whom it may concern which is a very official way of contacting alien beings but there we go inviting them to come to earth and join us in the spirit of peace and he's very surprised when he hears a voice saying we accept your hospitality and it's Megatron standing on the roof. Kind regards, Megatron. Kind regards, Megatron. We'll be around for a cup of tea later. <laughs> I brought my friends Starscream and Thundercracker, and they want his invention, which is called the Voltronic Galaxer. Yes. Yes. Why they want it is never really made clear uh, throughout this episode because it doesn't seem to actually do anything specific that couldn't be done by anything else they already have the technology for, but never mind. But they want the Voltronic Galaxer. So, Professor Haley calls the Autobots for help. Yes, so clearly he is aware of the Transformers. So he is aware that extraterrestrial life has arrived on Earth and is somewhat intelligent. Maybe he just doesn't believe. He doesn't believe that the Autobots could possibly be from another planet. I Also, I should point out in this scene that some of the scientists are not wearing white coats. I don't think the people not wearing white coats are supposed to be scientists because some of them are writing down what he's saying. So I think it's a press conference. One of the reporters has actually written down something that Professor Halley says before he says it. (laughs) Yes, there's a lovely close-up of his notepad which has the dialogue written on it before it's been spoken, which is... Maybe he's the guy who actually has the script and he's just the prompt in the wings. That would actually make more sense. (laughs) But in the arc, uh, they can't get the distress call through Blaster's music. And Optimus Prime even tells Blaster to shut up. Blasted Blaster. And then everyone yells at Blaster to shut up. And he goes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's really got the blues now. Yeah. yeah. And then they get the distress call and they transform and roll out. And it's it's wonderful because it, although we have, we've we already seen a couple of new characters and we've got to focus on Blaster as a new character... The characters that we see in this transformation montage are the original lot. Yeah, we get Sunstreaker, Sideswipe, Ironhide, Ratchet and Trailbreaker, the old crew. And Mirage and, it, it just and makes Hound. You feel, Mirage and Hound as well. We yeah. just get the feel that, yeah, it's amazing. And all the transformations are really close to the toy versions. They transform very much as the toy does, except for Mirage, which is a complete fudge. And there's bits coming out of him all over the place. But all the rest <laughs> are really, really good. Yeah. Generally speaking, these the two episodes that we're dealing with today, actually, I think are on the higher end of the animation scale. They're, they're pretty visually impressive, I think. Absolutely. 
Meanwhile, Megatron, Starscream and Thundercracker fly off with the Voltronic Galaxa and load the thing into Astro Train until Megatron tells him to take good care of the cargo. And then yeah. the train disappears into a tunnel. And as it emerges from the other side of the tunnel, it becomes a shuttle and flies off. Now, I, I may be wrong about this because I haven't watched every episode with Astro Train in for quite some time. But the only ones I can remember, they do really nice transformations from his robot to his train mode or his robot to his shuttle mode. But every time they have to show show him changing from train to shuttle they kind of fudge it off in the distance somewhere there's also when he goes from train to shuttle there's no there's no transforming noise Mm, he just kind of (laughs) partly i think one of the reasons they have to fudge it is because he's a train trundling along and he has to flip over on his back to turn into a shuttle weirdly i I found it quite weird though megatron loads the voltronic galaxy into astro train and they watch him disappear into a tunnel and then when he emerges from tunnel and turns into a shuttle they They meet him and fly inside him yeah so why didn't you just get him in him in the first place and i oh i don't know (laughs) but they go off into space there's there's, there's there's a, a lovely little graphic here as astro train is leaving earth there's a faint glow around Earth. It's almost as if they're showing Earth's atmosphere. Mm, yeah, I noticed that. around the Earth. I thought that was a lovely little background. Yeah, I thought that was good as well. The Autobots arrive at the observatory, but they're too late. Yep. yep. Never mind, they say, we'll get the machine back, and they drive off. And I laughed hysterically at this moment. Is it? Because Optimus Prime transforms yes. and drives out of shot with his cab, and then his trailer appears <laughs> from the top of the screen and does a turn and sort of drives after him to catch him. Goes after him, almost <laughs> going, Wait for me, Prime! <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's weird. <laughs> Slightly less amusingly, perhaps. Uh, Everybody in the scene, practically everyone in the scene says the words Voltronic Galaxa, except for Optimus Prime, who's not going to say that whatever it is. He just calls it your machine. He's not up for this nonsense. Also, black mark against the Autobots. They turn up. They're too late. They clear off again. There's a wrecked observatory there with possibly some wounded people inside it, and they just clear off. Yeah. (laughs) They're looking for the, this machine. Huffer and Tracks are called up. Uh, they don't yes. know where any Decepticons are. Nope. Power Glide has Spike and Carly flying around, apparently that's in circles. That's exactly what they're doing. They're just flying around the harbour in circles, and, <laughs> and that counts as checking out half of the hemisphere. Cosmos and Blaster find the Decepticons because Megatron has another temporary base. <laughs> It's no ordinary temporary base. It's a temporary space base. It's, it's a temporary a, it's, space base on the moon, yes. uh, which is an excuse for them to go to a different location. And once again, in common with all the other locations they've done when they've animated these episodes, the shots on the moon are really, really nice. Yes. I really like them. I do have issues with this bit, though. Because oh, I we... have issues with all this. <laughs> it, will, it will surprise nobody to know that I have issues with bits that are set on the moon at all. <laughs> um, but uh, we, we get Cosmos coming in with Blaster on board, and Cosmos says, I'm going to disengage my engines and coast in, which he doesn't because when he lands, you can still hear his engines. So not only did he not cut his engines, but... The fact that you can still hear them on the moon. Now, forgive me if I'm wrong here, Jason, but there's no atmosphere on the moon, is there? None whatsoever. So <laughs> sound would not travel on the moon. Also, yes. you can't switch off your engines and coast in in a vacuum. That doesn't None. work. 
no. But this is that Hollywood thing of if they were to do science fiction, as science would actually work, when you see these spacecraft screaming through space and having phaser battles and everything, it would be a bit dull. It would, yeah. There's one TV series I can think of, and I know you know which one I'm going to say. I know exactly which one you're going to say. It does silence in space yes. and it works really well firefly yes does it brilliantly and there is no sound in space at all absolutely and fabulous series it, it, it's done brilliantly other other series and films they do it occasionally for dramatic effect but forget it for most of the but yeah there'd be no no, no sound on the moon but if there was no sound on the moon none of this plot could happen but <laughs> the other issue with cosmos at this point is that he coasts in and lands where they can see him through a window in the Decepticon base. But Cosmos probably thinking what I'm thinking, which is, why would they have windows in a space on the moon? Because the view of the moon outside is gorgeous and you want to look at it. That's why. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> and so that you can see if any Autobot spies pop up. Yeah, Megatron says that his uh, his big machine thingy that he's plugging the Voltronic Galaxy in will jam the airwaves between here and Earth which makes no sense whatsoever because, A, there is no air between the moon and Earth. I assume he means jam radio frequencies, but yes. what, why does he want to jam radio frequencies between the moon and the Earth when there's nobody on the moon apart from him? It turns out that what it actually does later on is jam radio frequencies all over the Earth, except for Megatron's transmission to the Earth. So he's not trying to... So, what? Ah! <laughs> <laughs> It's don't get worked out. It's just I'm, a colloquialism. I'm, I'm beginning to think that Megatron might be a few circuits short of a microchip. Astro Train is sent out to retrieve Cosmos and Blaster, which he does. Yes, although Cosmos does give him a good chase. It does give him a good then, chase and shoots him a couple of times. But then yep. Cosmos, um, who is big enough for Blaster to ride inside, is also small enough to be taken inside Astro Train. Yes, tractor beam. And then as, as, as Astro Train's bay doors close, we get a lovely, very familiar sound. Yep, sonic screwdriver sound effect is yep. used again. Mm. So having brought Blaster and Cosmos into Decepticon Temporary HQ, they decide that Blaster will make an excellent trans-scrambler and Cosmos will be a power booster. Yes. And I can't see any way that the evil Decepticon's great plan could possibly go wrong when it requires apparently two functional Autobots as part of it. I don't see a problem with that, do you? <laughs> no, no, it's all going to go swimmingly. Now I'm starting to think, what would they have done if Cosmos and Blaster had not shown up? And I am completely stuck. Maybe they'd have used Astro Train and Soundwave in the same roles, and the thing would have been a lot more successful. Maybe. I mean, you've got to think that surely Soundwave would have been useful for the function that Blaster is going to be used for, because he's basically the same guy. But Megatron has previous for this. Remember, he built an entire solar needle that required to function a specific circuit from a specific Autobot back in Changing Gears. So, you know, this is this is not out of character for Megatron to make such a ridiculous plan, but never mind. But then he orders Starscream and Thundercracker to return to Earth, instead of which they switch on the device. Okay. But anyway. When they switch on the device, it looks great. It's an amazing light show. I think it looks fantastic. Well, yes. I, I don't know why it's a light show either. <laughs> <laughs> because if it wasn't, how would you know that something was happening? <laughs> Always the way. And then we get uh, some genuine jeopardy back on Earth. This is really terrifying, this bit. 
It is. We do, yeah. All the radios go dead, and we start off in an airport. Now, yes. I mean, I do have one issue with this, which is that, A, I'm pretty sure that an aircraft that's already on approach doesn't actually need a radio connection with air traffic control to make the final approach and the landing safely. I'm also pretty sure that most airports don't operate their runways in both directions. No. Specifically, I think, to avoid situations such as the one portrayed here, where two aircraft very narrowly avoid a head-on collision. Yes. I do like the name of one of the um, one of the airline companies. It's General Airlines. General Airlines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Generally. So we've got American Airlines and British Airways, and this is for everybody else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the interruption with the radio signals is causing all sorts of havoc and mayhem and chaos. Yeah. Yeah. And it would, to be fair, because you know there, there is a lot of communication that we depend on for the yep. successful functioning of things like that. Uh, is it just me, or did anyone else think that Carly's voice was a little bit off when she said that it looked like everyone's radio was out? It was a little bit lower pit key than the actress who does the voice usually uses for Carly, I think. Yeah. Do you think it was uh, Peter Cullen filling in? <laughs> <laughs> Powerglide somehow tells another plane to follow him without a radio, but there Maybe we go. Maybe he shouts really, really loudly. Maybe he does, and it's like, follow him, I'll get you down. It's like, well, I think he can probably land the plane himself. It's just, yeah. but there we go. Yep, all what's um, over today. Indeed. But, you know, further jeopardy and mayhem is happening on a railroad track because a tree has come down, some workmen are trying to saw it apart yeah. by this... hand, apparently, and then uh, along comes... A steam locomotive. A blapping steam train. In 1985. I've done some research. The US stopped using steam locomotives in the 1960s. There is one, still, today, there is one steam locomotive service running for nostalgia. It's in the Pacific Northwest. Now, I did a little bit more research So the chappie sawing the tree in half says it must be the 1040 from Croton Falls. There is a Croton Falls in in America. It's in New York State, which is on the opposite side of the country. So it's not that steam locomotive that they're using, (laughs) which is just as well, given that it blows up, basically, because the worker tries to radio it onto the auxiliary track. Now, I'm going to hazard a guess and say their health and safety probably should have been a bit better planned than this because surely it shouldn't have been possible for any train to go down that track while someone was working on it they should have already had that diversion in place secondly there doesn't appear to be another track anywhere this is a no. single track <laughs> we see. You, I, I was so annoyed with the whole they're still using steam trains in 1985 <laughs> that the idea of, of diverting it along a different track it actually didn't occur to me <laughs> but there isn't one anyway it's a single track yep uh, yeah this whacking great black steam locomotive complete with cow catcher smashes into the tree no one's hurt the uh, the driver leaps clear of the train although i am reliably informed that it requires more than just a driver to operate a steam locomotive so where is everybody else but fortunately even though the locomotive explodes, which I'm given to understand they're not actually terribly prone to doing because they're generally not filled with high explosive material. But sure you know, everything, everything has to explode. Uh, um, steam trains are full of high pressure uh, non-explosive material. So they rely on, on pressure systems, don't they? So uh, there are lots of photographs of Victorian steam trains that have uh, uh, had come a cropper spectacularly. And I think steam trains... Are, have been known to uh, to go kaboom 
But uh, they I'm just have been that... known to go kaboom. But if they were to go kaboom, it would be the high pressure steam that would go kaboom, not a massive great fireball. There would be, <laughs> it would be nothing burning. But never mind. There's a huge fire. But fortunately. <laughs> Help is at hand, because Red Alert and Inferno are, just happen to be in the area. Nice to see Red Alert is still nuts. He's completely nuts, isn't he? Yes, because he will knock out the fire by shooting the trees that are burning. <laughs> he hasn't got any better. You know, Auto Berserk was supposed to be like him out of character and suffering. But actually, Red Alert is completely crazy. But they just about get the fire under control and then the Decepticons arrive and attack. Then we cut to mountain roads with a snowstorm and because there are no radios, they can't broadcast to all the drivers on the travel news that you shouldn't get on the mountain roads. And clearly all the drivers are idiots because they're on the mountain roads in a snowstorm. This sequence reminded me of something that I heard on the radio a few years ago. DJ was probably having a bit of an off day and they'd done the news and the DJ said, so now the weather, look out of the window. <laughs> be like that for at least another hour and i thought that was brilliant and this is pretty much what the weather guy in this weather station and all he seems to have to do his weather forecasts is a single computer and him i would have thought that there would be a few other meteorologists manning this weather station and he looks out of the window and says i don't need to do a weather forecast to tell me that that's a snowstorm out there snowflakes the size of footballs but at least they're not going upwards like one of the previous occasions where we had a snowstorm and a Transformers episode. <laughs> but th then we have one of my favourite bits. Optimus Prime drives back to the Ark and clearly you know, he's bored so he wants to liven things up a bit because he makes a hell of a dramatic entrance to basically just turn up and go, so what's going on, guys? Because he <laughs> drives into the Ark and then he transforms while flying through the air and landing dramatically and then just basically says, okay, guys, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> Why, why did you come in like that, Prime? We've never seen you do that before, ever. All right, dudes. What's going down? <laughs> then, it, then it's fun because Ratchet has apparently been staring at Teletram 1 for ages with nothing on the screen. Uh, and he says it's gone dead and all human radio has gone dead. Sparkplug says this is a major catastrophe. What are they going to do? And in unison, all the Autobots shout, Transform, Transform and roll, roll for it. Roll for what? Exactly. No one has actually come up with a plan. Um, <laughs> yeah, perhaps it would have been more accurate for them to transform and something or other. Yeah. yeah but it's like... you know, we do get a few good shots of the Autobots helping out the humans with their problems, at least the ones that yes! we've seen. Um, Optimus Prime is at the airport waving planes around like a traffic cop in the road, <laughs> which is hilarious. The Autobots arrive at the snowed-in mountain roads and start helping people out there's a brilliant piece where a car goes off a cliff and hoist comes to the rescue how long is that cable well yeah the weirdest thing though uh, is trailbreaker with his force field because instead of generating a force field in the normal way that he's been seen to do before he generates a force field that looks like a giant dome that he can just hold and plonk on top of something and then when the decepticons arrive he creates a force field, plonks it over Ratchet and the other Autobots because Ratchet has a load of potentially hypothermic humans in his ambulance mode that he's going to take to hospital. But he's standing on the outside of it, so he gets shot, the force field disappears, yep. and they all get buried in an avalanche. <laughs> the other bit that tickled me was, I think it might be Prowl rescues a guy in a car, and he lifts the car out of the snow, puts the car down on the ground, and the guy in the car gets out, He's not really dressed for cold weather, but he just kind of gives him a grin and a thumbs up. And it's a pretty sort of <laughs> type grin. 
Yep, you're and out then, of your car, but now you're going to die of exposure. So, yeah. Well, like like me, they're probably incredibly excited that Prowl's at last done something useful. Forty <laughs> episodes in, as one of the lead characters, it's taken a long time, but he's got there. There's a slightly weird bit in here, actually, which is a kind of it's not made a big thing of, but it's unusual because we see an establishing shot of all the wrecked cars after this avalanche, and one of them. I spotted has that. broken glass and it has red streaks on it that look yeah, like blood. I, I spotted that. So, did they miss somebody? Did somebody die a horrible death in that avalanche and they just glossed over it entirely? Megatron is broadcasting himself as ruler of the earth across the air, the jammed airwaves. He's on every frequency, apparently. Yeah. And Ramjet comes along and rams Prime. Thundercracker blasts Prime. And Ramjet then shoots down Power Glide, and th- this bit was really weird. And I'm, we're gonna crash. Thought, we're gonna crash. And Carly says the emergency jetpacks, and she picks up a jetpack that looks human sized. And you think, oh, they're gonna bail out. Instead of which, Spike opens a door, leans out, sticks the jetpack on the side of Power Glide, and says, "There you go. Use your jetpack." What? Yeah. Yes. And, what? and uh? yeah, Spike sort of. How's it fixed? <laughs> and how is Power Glide able to navigate with a jetpack on one side of him? Yes, and would Very that tiny little power, would that tiny little jetpack provide enough thrust anyway to keep Power Glide flying? Yes. Megatron's demands are very straightforward. He will return control of the airwaves to the humans, provided they give him all of Earth's energy resources. He wants their coal, their oil, their gas, electricity, all of it. And then he will give back the radio, which will, of course, be useless without the electricity and power that he wants. So he's not really offering much, is he? No. No, it's not a good deal. Yeah, but he's, he's got he's got the earth by the short and curlies. And to be honest, this is the very last time that anybody can honestly say, I don't know who the Transformers are, or I've never heard of Decepticons or Autobots in the show, because they must know by now. At this point, you've got to know. Yeah, the whole world has gone radio blackout, and then suddenly Megatron's voice announcing his demands. And you... you You've got to wonder. See, when when things like this happen in 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 stories and cartoons and TV series and movies and everything, I always wonder because you see a small handful of people generally solving the problem, and I always wonder what everyone else in the world is doing at this point. <laughs> what are GI Joe? GI Joe? What are they up to? Yeah. What's what's Quick Fit doing? I don't know. Yeah. Oh, I, I suppose that the generation that is in 1985, I suppose now they will they will be saying to each other, so what were you doing when Megatron took control of the radio frequency in the same way that we ask, what were you doing when JFK was assassinated? Yeah. I, I can definitely imagine Leader One and Scooter having that exact conversation. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, Blaster has a plan. He presses one of his little buttons and suddenly rock music is blasting out all over the world. And Carly manages to slip some kind of magnetic strip card thing into a console on Powerglide and trace it to the moon. Now, why couldn't she have done that with Megatron's transmission? Why did she have to wait till Blaster went? Carly is a super genius. She's far smarter than you. So don't knock it. All right. There we go. I'm sticking up for Carly. I've seen how smart she is. I'm not going to argue with her. That's true. That's true. Her performance in Desertion of the Dinobots was uh, spectacular. So, but never mind. First things first, 
Powerglide can't get to the moon. He's a plane, not a starship, but he does have a long string with a magnet on the end, apparently, that allows him to pick up Optimus Prime. <laughs> plunger. I, I thought it was a plunger. I, I basically thought that he flew over Prime, went, and then lifted his limp and lifeless form up. Um, I, I, I think I'm going to go with magnet now, though, because that makes more sense. But before yeah. we go any further, I need to ask a question to establish something that is going to irk me in the next episode. At this point, is Carly Spike's girlfriend? Ha. <laughs> <laughs> well, I apparently know. you get the impression she's supposed to be, but it's never explicitly stated. It seems to me that Carly is leading Spike on so that she can have <laughs> access to the Transformers. Yeah, she's far more interested in the Transformers than she is in Spike, I think. Maybe she's a Decepticon spy. Maybe. There's lots of theories about Carly. <laughs> <laughs> but Powerglide's jetpack won't get him to Autobot headquarters, so he changes course. Powerglide has taken Spike, Carly and Optimus Prime to Omega Supreme. Yay! And she has apparently found some emergency transistors to put inside him, and she knows how to fix him because she's brilliant. Decepticon spy. Yeah. But Omega says they have to rescue their Autobot comrades. And suddenly, Spike and Carly have spacesuits. I've never been to the moon before. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Although, in Carly's defence, by this point, she has been to Cybertron. And, and Cybertron is a lot more but, impressive yeah. than the moon. Yes. Well, she seemed to think so. She was very taken by Cybertron. So, Omega Supreme introduces us to the transformation problem that we have with him in that... He launches his rocket mode and very, very clearly leaves the rest of his base mode behind (laughs) as the rocket flies to the moon. Yes. When he lands on the moon in the next sequence, his rocket mode comes down vertically and makes a landing, kicking up a huge amount of dust, which clears to reveal the rest of his base mode has appeared (laughs) with him somehow. Pocket (laughs) dimension. Perfection. Love it. Yeah, it's just, it's very, very bizarre. So, Blaster is an idiot, uh, because Megatron is still going on about his demands for Earth, because he's just, they, they've got him monologuing. If they could just keep him talking, they could... <laughs> <laughs> Instead of which, Blaster giggles. Yes. Give, giving away the fact that he's been messing around. Megatron is very annoyed, gives him a kick. Yep. But at that precise moment, Omega Supreme apparently blasts a hole in the roof. They can see that he's landing, so Astro Train and Megatron go rushing out, and then, uh, well, somebody else say what happens, because uh, with Omega Supreme, it's really cool. Yeah, he, he kind of grabs Megatron, and you get this lovely scene where Omega Supreme's right hand is like a... Th- it, it's like one of those soft toy grabby machines in in fairgrounds that you get. It's a bit like that, only this one actually works because he gets a firm grip on Megatron and starts waving him around. And then Astro Train, I, like the, I thought this was brilliant because Astro Train is in robot mode. So he stood upright and he transforms into a train and then just kind of falls over. <laughs> <laughs> just yes, Brilliant. And then, obviously, Astro Train doesn't need rails when he's in train mode because he just speeds towards Omega Supreme, smashes into his heel, 
and he flies off into space and Omega Supreme follows him. At which point, if I was Power Glide Spike or Carly, I'd be going, hey, hey, uh, what about everything down here? <laughs> leave, leave him. Omega Supreme has one weakness and that is he's an absolute twonk. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, oh dear. Well, Prime reactivates and has a bit of a scuffle with Megatron. Blaster yep. and Cosmos do something that one would assume they could have done quite some time ago and throw some feedback and some extra power into Megatron's weird radio doohickey and blow it up. Yeah. Well, fortunately, Megatron's distracted at this point because he would have just sort of like um, blasted them a bit if they'd have tried to do that while he was around. So, yeah, but they've got yeah. the opportunity now. So they take, may take full advantage of it. And, they do. Yeah. And Omega Supreme transforms off screen because even, even at this point, the animators already have had enough of it. <coughs> Grabs Astro Train and hurls him off into deep space, which is just great. <laughs> Megatron concedes defeat and... Doesn't sound a retreat because there's no one left to sound a retreat to. So. No, but Megatron... Sorry, Steve, I'm going to steal your thunder on this one. Megatron yeah. runs away at 21 minutes and six seconds. Uh, you're watching the YouTube version. Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> I got 20 minutes 44 on the DVD. Ooh. Yeah, because the DVD doesn't include the little advert bumpers that the YouTube version does, so the timings are slightly different depending right. on which version you look at. Okay. But thanks for doing that anyway. I was, I was having right. a bit of difficulty this week. So they, they go and retrieve Cosmos and Blaster, and Prime gives Blaster a lecture about responsible use of his volume. It's, it's almost Stan Lee-esque. With great volume comes great responsibility. No, wait, hasn't something like that already been said? Many times, <laughs> many times. But Blaster clearly didn't take it on board, because and it's a slightly weird bit, because when they leave the moon... Prime gives an exasperated blaster. The only noise you can hear is that weird, that, that weird bleepy bloopy noise that is always accompanying any space-based scene. Yeah. That's it. A blaster says they should dig the decibels, but somebody forgot to actually put the music into this scene, so <laughs> it doesn't actually make an awful lot of sense. But never mind, that's the end of the episode. Earth has got its radios back and everything's all hunky-dory again. So, who is the man of the match for this episode? I, I'm going to let Steve go first. Oh, are you indeed? You've got you've got an interesting choice, have you? Okay. Uh, my man of the match is Prowl. It's about time, Prowl. It's about time. <laughs> Steve, have you got... Uh, my, okay. my man of the match is Omega Supreme. For two, two reasons. One, because of the what struck me as a very big nod tip of the hat to the Faye Ray moment where she's in Kong's hand. That's what that scene with Megatron reminds me of. It's, it's King Kong holding Faye Ray, only it's Omega Supreme, who is not a giant ape, and it's Megatron, who is not Faye Ray. <laughs> <laughs> And it's also, beautiful. yes, the um, with the hurling of Astro Train, that was just that was just brilliant. I love <laughs> Omega Supreme. Yeah, I, I'm I'm going with Omega Supreme as well. After all the times that Prime has been picked up by Devastator, it's about time the Autobots had a really big swine to deal to help yeah. them out. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. So he's awesome. I, I think Omega Supreme is awesome. And I also really like the transformation sequence they give yep. him when bits of him sort of fly up and around and 
everything it's yeah that's a really funky yeah. transformation yeah well so, for an episode yeah. called blasters blues he ain't in it much he's completely overshadowed by omega supreme really but there and we he's, go he's not really blue <laughs> no but yeah so not a bad episode overall but again megatron has been at the silly plan generator yep holding radio waves ransom to get all the energy when you need energy to operate the radio in the first place, uh, oh, still. But going to the moon is nice. It's nice to go somewhere different. Um, yeah. So. so anyway, that episode was incredibly silly. Oh dear, so silly. Oh, let's see if it, things get any better in our next episode. What's that one called? A Decepticon Raider in King Arthur's Court, written by Douglas Booth. Oh boy. Oh yes. <laughs> Douglas Booth has a history of writing some very straightforward, simple, easy to follow and completely sensible scripts, doesn't he? No. City of Steel, Atlantis Arise. These were just, oh, amazing. This one, I mean, if you recognise the name, you know what to expect. And boy, does he deliver in spades on this episode. Yep. It's a really odd one in the Certain characters do not appear. Optimus Prime does not appear anywhere in this episode. No, and this is one of four episodes that Optimus Prime does not appear in. Yeah. So we start off in middle of a battle. Starscream, yep. Ramjet, Ravage and Rumble are having a bit of a fight. We don't immediately see who they're fighting. But Starscream is moaning about lack of energy. But Ramjet can still ram. Unfortunately, he turns into a plane and he tries to ram a tank, which yes. goes as well as that would actually go if you attempted to ram an actual tank with an actual plane. Uh, yes. Yeah. Interestingly and hilariously, uh, he transforms, clutches his head and says, oh, he just changed heads last week. Yeah, I'm going to draw which, your attention to that, that that comment a little bit later on as well. Does Ramjet yeah. have a spare head three with droid rock? <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely certain he does carry spare heads. The, the tank, it's Warpath. It's Warpath. Yeah. And Good Warpath is annoying. Yeah, Warpath it's, is, I think we said the last time we, we had an episode of Warpath in, you, you, it's like watching an episode of 60s Batman. You expect the words, wham, blam, to appear yeah. on the screen as he's saying them. <laughs> Weirdly, Ravage and Rumble are in this episode, and I think this is the first time any of the cassette bots have appeared without Soundwave. Ah. Oh, good call. That is a Hence, good call. Hence, you'll notice throughout this episode, because Soundwave is nowhere to be seen, they do not transform at any point in this episode. Rumble sounds like a 1930s gangster. Oh, yeah. Very much so. <laughs> it's largely his character, isn't it? Yeah. 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 A, a thick thug gangster. Yeah. yeah. But they, they're fighting near what looks like a sort of some kind of stone circle, a bit like a mini Stonehenge. And Rumble yep. has detected energy from inside. He has. And so they go in to find this energy. Warpath, very sensibly blasts an ancient stone circle, the Vandal, yep. <laughs> destroys the entrance. <laughs> That's a heritage crime. Completely. I, I was going to say, where do you think this is? It must be in the UK or somewhere where they have stone circles. But obviously we've never heard of it because it gets destroyed. Inside, Rumble finds some kind of runic carvings on a stone and he presses his finger against one and it lights up. Yep. Just before, Rumble says something about being stuck in here and 
Starscream says this could be our tomb. Couldn't Rumble just change his arms to pile drivers and smash the rocks and get out that way? <laughs> it's it's come on. This is only the seventy eighth time that Transformers have been buried under rocks in the show, <laughs> and uh, and nobody has suffered any injuries or even been delayed for particularly long by it. So I don't know yeah. what they're moaning about. Yeah. Well, they are low on energy, so maybe Rumble doesn't ah. have the energy to do oh, this pile driver. Yes, thing. we don't see them, do we? Either no. this week, I no, do. No. I do like the bit with Starscream. Starscream shoves Rumble aside and said, "This could be dangerous. As your leader, I must take the risk." Anyway, I'm lower on energy than you, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the, it sounds like is, he's being a responsible leader, but actually, no, he's just being a the, selfish git. The, the stone is engraved with what is probably an ancient language, very runic. The symbols mm. are very runic in, in their design. So he's either well-versed in this language or he rolled a natural 20 on his push random buttons skill. <laughs> well, he just seems to be press, running his finger along them in order. Yeah. And they're lighting up as he does. And when he gets to the end, there's a massive flash of light and suddenly the entrance isn't blocked anymore and there are no Autobots. So they just walk out and they are seen by a woman in a blue dress who mentions giant armoured knights coming out of the dragon mound. Yes. This is a bit of a change of direction for the show, isn't it? Completely and totally. Especially as later on, shortly after, the Decepticons find some crummy Autobots heading towards them, except that they're not Autobots, they're armoured humans. Yes. Yes, there's a lovely line from, from Ramjet... Well, they're rubbish even by Autobot standards because one headbutt and they break in two. Yeah, I mean, that's a... Ramjet walks up to a guy on horseback and nuts him. (laughs) (laughs) But they soon realise that they're just humans pretending to be robots. But Sir Wygand of Blackthorn is not impressed by this. He pretends to no one. And he tells them that it is 543 Anno Domini. Yeah, they've yes. gone back in time. And you know what that means? Because they've gone back in time, it means that Starscream is the leader, of Starscream course. Starscream is, of course, the leader. But it's uh, it suits his purpose to help Sir Wygan defeat his enemy, apparently Aetheling the Red. And uh, it turns out this guy is the father of the girl who's been spying on them. She runs off, but Ravage follows her, spots her, and, and Starscream says they've got 1,451 years to wait before the Autobots arrive, and that bungler Megatron. Now, Starscream's arithmetic is somewhat off at this point. Yes, it is. Because 543 plus 1451 equals 1994, not 1984. Damn it. And and in case anyone thinks that maybe the Transformers is set in the near future, no, it's explicitly been stated a couple of times that it's the 1980s. Yeah. These sum, these sums are beyond the abilities of a Cybertronic calculon, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> the the woman who's running away runs into Spike. Yeah, yes. she immediately immediately uh, gets molested by Spike. <laughs> oh, oh, okay, that, that got very dark very quickly. It, it, well, uh, then Warpath immediately molests Ravage and bashes him out, and Ravage runs away. So, in the lightest possible sense of the yeah. word, yes. and then. Hoist comes in too. He can't believe it, but he his chronometers date her outfit to 542. And she says, well, fashion is always a year behind Camelot. Yes. <laughs> well, it is a silly place. <laughs> it's a very silly episode. And yes. if they're anywhere near Camelot, 
and this is anything to do with King Arthur, as the title suggests, that means that somehow they've ended up in England. Yes. So why is this woman speaking with a US accent? I don't know, but there are lots of these and thous and dust and dooth and various other Shakespearean oh, yes. words. Who art thou? And yes. Thou dust and thou wouldst and all that. Yes, we, we know we've gone back into ancient times because people are speaking weird. <laughs> and, uh, her name apparently is Nimui, who, as I understand it, was a character in Arthurian legend, although yes. I don't know which one. So. Yes, she, she had a bit of a thing for Merlin. And Merlin kind of had a bit of a thing for her. I've looked it up. Ooh. She's a lady of the lake. That's of course. it. Yes. Oh, she's ah. a lady of the lake. Well, you know, scantily clad ladies handing out swords doesn't seem like a good basis for yep. her. Yeah, you don't become <laughs> king just because some watery bin owes a scimitar at you. There we go. You you can't remember anything of Lamorte de Arthur, but you can remember everything from the Monty <laughs> Python spoof. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. So she says, will they help her against the giant knights? And they say, yes, they'll be happy to. Bizarrely, she has no reaction whatsoever when Hoist and Warpath transform into 20th century vehicles right in front of her. She just happily gets in. (laughs) Yeah, she just gets in, slides over, Spike gets in, and off they go. And they go to her father's castle. Etheling the Red lives in a Disney princess castle. (laughs) It so is. They took the Disney castle and just like, oh, that'll do. We'll have that <laughs> with all the round <laughs> towers and pointy tops and flags and everything. And it's just, oh, it's terrible. <sighs> and apparently there's going to be a tournament there. Uh, yes. Etheling the Red is uh, voiced by Alan Oppenheimer doing a voice that is very recognisable if you've seen He-Man. Okay. Because um, he does a lot of the voices in He-Man and this oh, voice right. that he uses for Ethling the Red is one that he does pull out for bit part characters in He-Man every so often. Um, there's going to be a tournament because apparently they had a dispute with Sir Wygand over cows and land. Obviously. And who, who, who cares? Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah. Who, who cares why they're feuding? But this is basically a conversation that they have while Hoist is making Spike some armour because apparently he's got to be taking part in this tournament because Nimue has decided that he's going to be her champion. Yes. This is why I asked about Carly. Yeah, Spike (laughs) is very interested in Nimue, but he seems to forget that he's been out with Carly quite a bit recently. So, In Spike's defence, I will say he's probably got better teeth than anyone she's ever met. (laughs) (laughs) Can't argue with that. But Spike does indeed take part in the tournament. He wears some armour that Hoist has made for him. Uh, he goes into a jousting tournament and unsurprisingly for a 1980s teenager is utterly useless. Yes, Spike's an idiot. And I gets knocked that. off his horse. <laughs> I, t- two things I love about it. Firstly, because it takes years of training just to even ride a horse properly and to be able to use a lance. And the second thing I loved about it was that Hoist hoists him onto the yes. horse. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Sir Wygand arrives and he has brought his champions, Sir Rumble and Sir Ramjet. Now, I don't know if you spotted this, but just after Rumble and Ramjet are introduced, there's a cut to a group of spectators. And the three spectators in the front row, the way they're drawn, it's Hank, the ranger, Mm. Eric, the cavalier, and (laughs) Sheila, the thief from Dungeons and Dragons, Uh (laughs) which is another 80s cartoon series that Frank Welker did an awful lot of voices for. Yes. 
you do know they're releasing uh, Dungeons and Dragons action figures at the moment. Yes, and and you've got a Ramjet. Yes, <laughs> have, have, which, who have you got? I've got Rumble. You've got Rumble, <laughs> and I've got Frenzy because they're, they're the different colours in the, in the toys yes. and the cartoon. So yeah, I've got, so we've got Ramjet and Rumble. I've got three Star Screams. Oh, okay, you win on the start. I've only got two. I've got Coronation Starscream, which is so, so brilliant. Uh, okay, so we could be the stupidest knights in all history. Rumble rides Ramjet with a lance, and Warpath transforms into a tank and hoist Plonk's Etheling on with his lance, and they run at each other and they do a jousting tournament, which ends with Warpath crushing Ramjet's nose. Yes. And Rumble flying backwards and smashing Ramjet's canopy. And yep. then Ramjet is transformed later and his nose, which is actually his head when he's in robot mode, is absolutely fine. So as you said, he spare must head. have a spare head. Nimue is very impressed by all this and goes and shouts and gives Sir Wigand a piece of her mind. And Starscream has had enough of this chivalrous nonsense. Quite right. Here say all of us. <laughs> so he what did he do? He goes with his own tactic, which is to grab Nimue and give Etheling 24 hours to surrender or he'll never see his daughter again. And he transforms, chucks her into his canopy and drives off. And I say drives off. Yes. Because that's what he does. Because yes. he doesn't have the energy to fly. No. So a couple of the guys give chase on horseback. I had a bit of an issue with this because in order for Starscream to actually drive along the ground, his engines have got to be working to provide forward momentum. And they, he, he, they're they jet engines. And something that comes out of the back end of a jet engine is exhaust and that's really really hot so wouldn't the horses get incinerated being that close to starscream oh veal barbecue all round <laughs> uh no no I, I, so i who knows he's a transformer yep is that yep. how he flies does he actually use jets we don't know we don't know i don't know why i'm defending him anyway more to the point, there has to be a track in this forest wide enough for an F-15 jet to get down without any difficulty, but there we go. Um, Warpath and Hoist chase Starscream, but they just veer off and crash into each other, and apparently they can't stay transformed. So it seems that being in vehicle mode requires energy somehow. Mm, they've been using up lots of energy, and they're all in trouble. And I really, actually, I really like this plot idea. Yes. They're all running on energy. And it limits their abilities and it limits their abilities in a way that makes it so that they can interact with these people in the ancient Englandy world. I thought that was just like, that's a very clever way of doing it. And we've always seen them chasing energy and going after energy. And now we see them suffering without it. And I thought, ah, somebody's making good use of the show's premise. I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I, I like that. And yeah, because they're, they're in a place where there isn't the kind of energy that they need. They can't go and find an electricity substation or anything like that. So yeah. that's uh, that makes sense. It's good. Then we go totally left field because an owl has witnessed all this and flies into the forest and meets somebody who looks very much like Merlin. Yes. Very wizardy type chap with a long white beard and a pointy hat. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, apparently his name is Beort, and he has some choice words to say about these giant knights that the owl has told him about somehow. He can speak <laughs> owl. and uh, But we go to Wigand's castle, where Nimue is chucked into a cell. Wigand is not impressed, but Starscream says, this is his castle now and his world, and then he falls off. Yes. 
And apparently, this being low on energy makes the Decepticons cough. (laughs) (laughs) But I do like what happens next. As ridiculous as it is, Starscream uses the castle's hoard of gold jewellery that belonged to Wigan's grandmother. Yes. To turn into wire. Yeah, I thought it was electric dynamo. Yeah. And, uh, I also love that we, we see the dynamo and we see him re-energising himself. There's lots of zaps coming up and then we see what's powering it. Yeah. And it's four blokes turning a big wooden wheel. Couldn't they have strapped <laughs> horses to it? But uh, what I do like about it is that this son of harks back to Starscream having previously been a scientist. So yes. it makes sense that he would come up with and create something like this. Yeah. Um, he's he's never heard of colonium crystals, but he knows how to make a dynamo. He's a good he scientist. He knows how to make a dynamo. Spike is kicking himself for not being able to stop giant metal robots from kidnapping his new girlfriend, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Warpath well, says, you know, if you want to ride out on your own, go ahead. Because, you know, he's obviously not worried about this duty of care to the soft, squishy human. <laughs> so Spike does indeed ride out on his own. I thought that was a lovely little scene between Spike and Warpath, particularly because Warpath was quite well-spoken and didn't blam, kapow, zowie, every other word, which yes. I thought was really cool. Yeah, it was It was quite a nice scene between, between the two guys. So Starscream is charging himself up. Ramjet is making charcoal. He's got uh, the good job. Then he can go and get the rock salt. Yes. And Ravage and Rumble need to go and get sulfur. And Rumble points out that they need potassium nitrate and don't tell him <laughs> tell him Starscream is going to get it, at which point a bird poops on Starscream's head. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was brilliant. And he says, no, I'm not going to go and get it. And Rumble realises what he's just been volunteered for. Yeah. <laughs> And I love it later on when he comes back with the potassium nitrate and covered, absolutely covered in bird poop. And a couple of seagulls <laughs> resting on his shoulders as well. Yeah, that is, yeah Just, that's oh, hilarious. That's hilarious. Spike is trying to rescue Nimui and is still useless at it. Yep, Spike is still an idiot. Yeah, as he climbs up the ivy to the window and promptly falls back into the moat. Yeah, can I, Wh- can I just... Nimue kind of had a very rapid change of heart just before Spike came to rescue her. Yes, because so Wigand comes into the cell. Nimue launches herself at him and they wrestle on the ground a bit. And he says, yes, you're right. I've been an idiot and I'm going to change. And, oh, your eyes are beautiful. And, oh, are they? Oh, dear. And I'm sitting there going, oh, Gordon Bennett. My favourite bit, though, was Spike fell into the moat. And he's wearing armour, so, of course, he sinks because he's encased in metal. Yes. He rapidly removes the armour to reveal that under the armour, he's wearing his usual clothes, including the (laughs) yellow welly boots. (laughs) Yellow welly boots. Those things must be indestructible. Never mind stealing energy. What Megatron needs to do is get the formula for those Wellington boots. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly particularly easy to swim in welly boots either. Not it's really, not no. Because they would um, fill with water and become really heavy. Yes. I also suspect that when Spike and Sparkplug left the oil rig, they must have nicked a fair few of those Wellingtons as well. <laughs> 20 wardrobes worth. <laughs> well, Spike manages to get back up to the window and says that he's gone to uh, to rescue Nimue. And she's like, well, I don't want to be rescued. We've just decided to get married. Yeah, that was quick. That was 
that was rapid, yes. Yeah, very yeah. much so. And Spike looks really upset. I'm upset. Two Why scenes ago, she was th- launching a stool at him. <laughs> a wooden stool, by the way, not the other kind of stool. <laughs> that would be messy. Not, not like the monkeys at the zoo. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, the, the supreme eligible bachelor in that castle is Starscream. And the fact that Nimue's fallen for anyone else is an affront. She mm. should be proposing to Starscream at this point, in my view. Well, I don't know. Um, Starscream is very firmly clutching the idiot ball in his next sequence. Um, okay. because, because, yes, okay, kids who are watching it may not have twigged, but many people would have twigged that the ingredients that they've been getting, charcoal, rock salt, potassium nitrate, and sulfur, make gunpowder. Yes. They got, that that now, was... Uh, I was quite impressed that they actually gave away the recipe for gunpowder yes. to small children. Yes, absolutely, because, you know... Why wouldn't you? <laughs> and then, yeah. okay, yes, those ingredients make gunpowder. Now, I don't know exactly how you make gunpowder, but I am reasonably certain that mixing all the ingredients together in a cauldron over a blazing fire <laughs> is not the way to do it. No. <laughs> but I'm also certain that it doesn't form an orange bubbling gooey mess that you can scoop up in your hand and throw across the room. I... <laughs> I don't know if you guys would remember them, but it was, there was a, a trend back in the 70s, 80s for muck about with chemicals in your kitchen chemistry sets. I had a chemistry set. Yes. And I think it, I think it contained some, if not all, of the chemicals that you would need to make gunpowder. This chemistry set may be used to make explosives. Please get an adult to help you. Back in the 1950s in America, there was a, a, a kid's play set that actually contained uranium. Oh, God, yes, I saw that one. It was a, a nuclear power station playset, wasn't it? You could generate yes. your own... It, it did actually generate electricity, I think. It yeah, had a radioactive could, source you, in you, it that you, you could... You could be your own Sheldon Cooper and build a nuclear reactor in your garage. Yeah. So, anyway, yes, so the Decepticons have made gunpowder. And uh, Etheling's forces are attacking the castle. They've got their siege engines. They Go start on. off with their siege engines, but they then... Do. They throw barrels of... I don't see any fuses on the barrels. Starscream didn't use them when he hurled a piece across the room and it just exploded on contact. So what he actually seems to have made is some kind of uh, um, shock-based explosive. But yes, it blows up all the siege engines. But never mind, because they still have Hoist, who lays himself over the moat so they can run across him. Later on, he's using himself as a, as a ladder to so the people can climb up the walls. And when Warpath tries it, that doesn't go quite so well. Ramjet and Warpath duel with large bits of wood. Yeah, he's trying to get his own back, isn't he? This is a bit of a grudge match now. Oh, it is, and he yes. does in fact smash Warpath off the castle ramparts, back on the hoist, and they end up lying on the floor, totally low on energy. They can't transform or fire anything or anything like that. It's all over. It's all over for the Autobots. Or is it? Well, Weigand doesn't get very far with stopping his men from attacking the other guys, because his second-in-command, Wolf, throws him over the edge into the moat. Spike attacks him with a table, and when he's distracted by that, Nimue hits him with a stool. Again, a wooden stool. (laughs) So so that takes care of that. (laughs) But then, Ravage attacks Spike and is chased off by the owl. Well, it's quite a good Ravage attack. Spike looks visibly terrified, and you see his glistening fangs as he comes towards him. It is. I mean, the animated episode is utter bonkers rubbish nonsense but the animation is top-notch 
Uh, and the close-up of yeah. Ravage threatening yeah. Spike is is gorgeous. It really is. It is particularly yeah. menacing. Beort has arrived. Big bearded Beort. Bearded Beort. And Weigand and Ethelin yeah. come together to tell him that Hoist and Warpath need this thing called energy. And uh, maybe his magic yeah. will help. Starscream says, magic will never defeat science. Can magic defeat science? Well, somehow, Bale conjures up lightning and energy of some description and zaps it into Hoist and Warpath. Yeah, I'm calling shenanigans on this. So what exactly is the voltage contained in a strike of lightning? It's 300 million and about 30,000 amps. Lightning can also generate a fairly powerful EMP as well, so they must have some serious (laughs) shielding. Bale speaketh of amps and volts. When confronted with magic, <laughs> this is magic, Steve. Clearly, Thou this is art magic. A fool. Ah, but if I if I was to travel back in time to five forty two A.D. with a lighter in my pocket, yes, would that simple science not be considered magic? If if you were to take a a, a, a free sat recording box back to nineteen eighty and rewind live television, would that not be considered magic? <laughs> No, that wouldn't work because the satellites aren't there. (laughs) But they've given Hoist and Warpath enough energy to transform, and they just ram their way through the castle walls while Starscream is screaming to power up the dynamo, which now looks completely different. (laughs) I did love the shot of Hoist and Warpath just boinking against the wall and bouncing (laughs) off it until Warpath eventually smashes through it. That was very lovely. And Hoist wraps a great big cable around the dynamo and swings it around and basically throws it into Starscream's face. Hoist's hoisting ability has now become the most powerful weapon on the show, replacing Rumble's pile drivers. He's hoisted everything this week. Then we get a slight animation cock-up because we see Nimue's hands, very clearly Nimue's hands, picking up some scrap wire and bending it into a ring. And then it's Weigand giving her the ring. I kind of reckon that she, she made the ring... And then threatened to tell Daddy that Wigan did something naughty to her unless he presents her with the ring in front of Daddy and says, let's get married. I'm going to make an honest woman of you, honest gov. (laughs) Or she made the ring and a man took all the credit. (laughs) (laughs) That seems more likely. But the Decepticons have got virtually no energy left. So Hoist says that they will take the Decepticons back if there's a way. And so... Bayor escorts them all back to the Dragon Mound. And then, as if this episode hadn't been bonkers enough, there's an actual dragon. (laughs) I I was actually going to say pretty much the same thing, but knowing what you're doing with that sort of language, I was going to say an actual flapping (laughs) dragon. And he wasn't there before because he was out visiting relatives, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. At this point, it was a real struggle for me to keep watching, to be honest. It's only because I had two minutes left that I was like, well, it's nearly done. Yep. Beor has some uh, a full pouch of dragon's bane, which he mixed up from the usual ingredients. I noticed something weird about Beor. Really? Just the one? As he's kind of... (laughs) Yeah, no, they're, they're, but his his fingernails—they're like claws on the end of his fingers. So either he's some weird monstrous thing, or he's in desperate need of a manicure. Yeah, yeah, part man, part demon. Well, Warpath says, "Well, Beowulf's magic has worked quite well so far." It's like not magic. Yeah, 
And it turns out that Dragon's Bane is in fact gunpowder because he made it up with the same ingredients that Starscream used. But they scare off the dragon and uh, they walk back into the dragon mound and then they walk yep. out of it. I don't know if it counts, but the dragon flies off at, on, on the YouTube version at 21 minutes oh, and 12 seconds. Oh, lovely. lovely. I love it. Thank you for that. But that does raise an interesting point in the in this episode. I think for the first time, no retreat is sounded because the Decepticons are just trounced and escorted back. This is the second episode. The first episode of No Retreats was Dinobot Island Part 1. But there we go. That's just me being picky. Oh. Never okay, mind. Fair but there was there was something really silly in this scene. It was really silly. Hoist and Warpath give each other high fives and slaps and things like that, and they they're clapping hands. One of yep. Hoist's hands is a gun. I, that's just so silly. That's the silliest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. The silliest thing is the episode at all. Yeah, well, they're back in the present day, and they immediately yep. get shot at. And Starscream, oh dear, Starscream shouts, Megatron, hold your fire. It's me, Starscream. And he's so happy to be back, he launches himself at Megatron and tries to give him a big hug. (laughs) Wouldn't we all? Starscream just becomes a massive fanboy, really, doesn't he? It's it's almost like, Daddy, Daddy, I'm home, Daddy. I've been away for such a long time. I've just had a thought about the whole um, thing with the not Stonehenge. The US went through a bit of a spate of buying English landmarks. They bought London Bridge. Maybe they bought an ancient landmark, had it moved over to the States, but because of some, to coin a phrase, wibbly-wobbly, (laughs) timey-wimey stuff, the other end of the temporal shift was still in England because that's that's where the stone circle was at that time. Shut up. Yeah. I can I can yeah. go along with that. I can go along with that. Yeah. Okay. But Megatron yep. is not impressed because he's ruined his shot. And Starscream's like, what's the matter? Aren't you happy to see me? I mean, when has Megatron ever been happy to see Starscream? <laughs> but it's all comedy because we end with Megatron screaming in frustration. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode, yep. which is possibly... Yeah. Um, it's taken the mantle of most bonkers, crazy episode... <laughs> Definitely, because this is just somebody just went, I want to tell an Arthurian legend story and I'll whack some giant transforming robots in it. I have to be honest, I didn't find Warpath as annoying in this episode. There wasn't quite as much of the shouty bits. They seem to have toned him down for this. Yeah, he was much more sort of normal. Yeah. So you're warming to Warpath after all this time. Yeah. So who is your man of the match then, Steve? Either Steve. (laughs) Um, Well, surprisingly, I'm going to go Warpath because the bit where he had the guy riding him in the jousting competition (laughs) and crumpled Ramjet's nose cone and general moral support that he gave Spike and the fact that he wasn't as annoying as he normally is. So I'm going to go my man of the match for this episode is Warpath. Good choice. Good choice. Mm. Jason, what about you? I I went with Bale because he gave Hoist and Warpath the zap that they needed to to finish the job, um, and accidentally apparently inventing gunpowder as well. So <laughs> it's a uh, good beard as well. Yeah, absolutely. And he can speak owl, so you know. <laughs> yes, that that is the ultimate skill. If you can speak yeah. owl, all other skills are redundant, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> did it, did any pick up on the fact that the mm. owl was called Solomon? I, I I have to be honest. I didn't oh, catch anybody's nice. name in this. I, there was a woman called Nimenim, <laughs> a man called Nimenim, and a wizard <laughs> called Blur. Uh, I, like, I don't know. It's just 
we're back to the moon of nudge again, aren't we? I wasn't following it at all. My man of the match, and I'm a bit disappointed because I thought it would be three for three on this, was Starscream, obviously, because he had the cunning to invent or reinvent the uh, the dynamo. He had the good plans. He made allies. He did all the right things. And it was just unfortunate that he was defeated by a wizard. <laughs> <laughs> so there we go. Starscream for me. Okay. Did we all love this episode? Very oh, far. this is, uh, it's another one of those ones where it totally depends on what mood I'm in, because there's a lot of fun in this episode. But it just doesn't yep. fit. <laughs> it's just a totally random. No. Somebody's come in and written a whole different genre episode, and shoehorned Transformers into it to try and make it fit the story. And it just it makes no sense whatsoever. Yep. So Douglas I... Booth has already given yep. us City of Steel, where they randomly rebuild New York in the image of Cybertron. Not content with that, he then gives us an undersea civilization in Atlantis Arise. And now he's gone time travel and ancient knights and jousting and... Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I, I love it because... Okay, for, for several reasons I love it. Firstly, because it is so much fun. Second, because it's not ashamed of just being a crazy adventure with the Decepticons and knights and who cares what year it is. And an um, actual blapping dragon. <laughs> an actual blapping dragon. <laughs> and also, it's like... um. You'd think with all these other things he introduces, you think Douglas Booth isn't interested in the Transformers, but he clearly is because he always uses something from the Transformers tech specs or their background and builds it into the story. And I think that's really clever and interesting the way he does that. So I, I, I really love this one. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and my last defence point for it is that for kids... If you've got a big toy box full of Transformers and your friend's got a big toy box full of knights and dragons and horses, this is the great crossover for you. You can now do all those games together and it's perfect. And if you just happen to own the Dungeons and Dragons, the animated series figures, then you can recreate another scene. <laughs> if you actually, open your Ramjet. Um, you mentioned horses, actually. That's another one. <laughs> the, the animation in this episode with the horses was, was absolutely top-notch. It, it, I, it lost me with the dragon to be honest i was i was giving it the benefit yep. of the doubt it was a silly fun adventure in the past for no readily apparent reason but who cares i can go with it and then yep. a, a dragon appears and i just nope <laughs> at that point it like, <laughs> wasn't for that yeah. little bit at the end which doesn't really need to be there just it's just it a little too far for you that just that just went a little yeah. bit overboard. If you locked that out and they just went back to the dragon mound and back to the present day i'd be fine so that wraps it up for those two episodes and we are halfway, about halfway through series two now. So we're actually going to take a little bit of a break from Transformers, but it's not going to be a break from Robots in Your Eyes because we've got a whole bunch of other cartoons that we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks and there's some very exciting ones lined up and we're hoping to get a lot of special guests on. So there is a lot to look forward to coming up. So let's see what happens. So all that remains is to say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson, co-hosting once again with Stephen Alexander and Steve Walker. We'll be back next week for an exciting double bill of something. But in the meantime, remember, don't try to follow any gunpowder recipes you see on cartoons at home. Thank you. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes 
or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice.